It's good to see you guys that are here with us. And for those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. It's, it's good to be back on the, the teaching platform after uh, about three weeks of just enjoying some, some great teaching uh, by Pastor Dylan, Pastor David. And then, of course, last week, Richard Coleman, one of our long-term missionaries that we, we support. Uh, just, uh, aren't we just blessed to be able to sit under such great teaching as men rightly divide the Word of God? It, it really is a blessing. But it is good to be back. And before I jump into the last... Uh, the last sermon uh, in this message um, series that we've been in now for the past 10 weeks. I want to make just one announcement regarding uh, the Good Samaritan Labor Day barbecue coming up tomorrow. The Good Samaritan organization is an organization that we love and we've been supporting for years and years now. Uh, They uh, are an organization that helps so many needy families and individuals throughout our community all year round. And uh, they do tremendous work and we, we uh, love what they do and love to support them. And one of the big fundraisers they do every year is the Labor Day barbecue held in downtown Blue Ridge. And uh, all the money from that goes to, as I said, kind of help those in, in our community and, and, and around our neighborhoods and, and county and so forth. And um, one of the ways that the Ridge has always uh, partnered, we've got a kind of a tradition with the Labor Day barbecue is we always come in at the very end and we clean up everything. Uh, take down the tents, clean up the tables, put away the chairs, that sort of thing. It's kind of been our tradition. We come in after those, uh, those servants have been working all day, serving and prepping and uh, all the things that they do. We kind of come in and clean everything up and restore the park. And so um, they've kind of come to, to depend on us and other volunteers who come in there at the end. And so we invite you to be a part of that tomorrow. It usually starts about 530 is when they start serving. And uh, it could be a little bit earlier tomorrow, depending on the weather. Uh, but we need volunteers for that. And uh, that's not the only place you can volunteer. There's actually quite a few places. As a matter of fact, if you'll go to their website, which is goodsamfc.com, that stands for Good Samaritan Fanning County.com, uh, you can click on Labor Day Barbecue, and there's a digital sign up there. There's going to be several things that you can sign up to do. Of course, the, the, at the very bottom, you'll see uh, park cleanup, and that's traditionally what we jump in and do. And uh, so be a part of that, if you will. Help us support this great organization in our community that does great work. And by the way, uh, whether you can serve or not, go by and get some barbecue, right? Support this organization. Uh, take your family by. Even if it's raining, they're going to do drive through and, uh, and so pick you up some barbecue and support what this great organization, the Good Samaritans, are doing. All right? If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Today we're wrapping up this series called Summer on the Mount. And what a great series it really has been. I mean, working through some of these wisdom-filled teachings of Jesus Christ, and as, the, as it's just revealing how practical uh, our faith can be in practical ways we can, uh, we can make our faith every single day. And um, I, I love what Oswald Chambers says about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. Don't you like that? Don't you want to be people who the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us? I, I love that. And, and this really is the blessed life that Jesus is describing. So many times our culture talks about what the good life is and how we can live the good life. Well, Jesus in this sermon has just kind of spelled out what the true good life is, what the true blessed life really is. Now, when I was a a junior in college at the University of West Georgia, I was uh, just kind of beginning pursuing a, a bachelor's degree in what was called at that time information technology, and it included everything from systems analysis to programming uh, to networking to even some uh, website design. It was a pretty broad degree, and, and I was pursuing that. And keep in mind, this was in kind of the, the mid to late 90s, so 
right around the dot-com boom, if anybody remembers that. And, and I had some friends who were being hired before they even graduated college. They were being hired by great companies. And so I was kind of looking forward to, as I was getting into this, this degree, to have an opportunity myself to uh, get some good job offers. Not, and I really wasn't thinking if, it was going to be when it happened. But at the same time, there was also this nudge from the Holy Spirit. And the nudge was about surrendering to full-time Christian ministry. And so for about a year and a half, me and God just arm wrestled one another, right? You've ever done that before? Just arm wrestled God. Was it going to be technology? Was it going to be theology? Which one was it going to be? And inevitably, if we, you know, God usually wins those, those arm wrestles, right? And so um, at the end of my senior year, I surrendered uh, the, to that call to Christian ministry. I went ahead and graduated, and I took that nice, shiny bachelor's degree and just put it in my suitcase with all my other belongings, and I moved back home to kind of see what God's next step was for my life. And so that decision, that, that single decision forever changed and altered the course of my life. Now, you and I, we make decisions every day. Big decisions, little decisions, hard decisions, easy decisions. Some of those, some decisions are easy, like should I have fruit for breakfast or that seven layer cheesy breakfast burrito? That's an easy decision, right? Burrito every time, right? Yeah, right, of course. But, but other decisions are, are often what we might call fork in the road decisions. Decisions like, should I go to college? Should I go to work? What, what, what college should I go to? What career should I choose? Should I, should I get married? Should I stay single? Should I have kids? No kids. If, if, what should I be doing now to secure my financial future? These, these are big, big decisions that have big implications that lead us down certain paths. Inevitably, we have to forsake other paths when we choose the one. And we see this kind of um, language all through the scripture. You know, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua calls God's people. Do you remember? Choose this day who you're going to follow. He was saying either, either follow God or follow the false teachings, one or the other. In the book of Psalms, it calls us to choose the way of righteousness or the way of the wicked. Got to choose one or the other. In the book of Proverbs, it says, choose the way of the slacker or the way of the upright. Got to choose one or the other. And then Deuteronomy 30, it says, I have set before you life and death. In other words, I've set before you blessing and curse. And then the writer says, choose blessing, choose life that you and your descendants may live and love the Lord your God. And so we see this language all through Scripture of decisions we have to make. And the thing about our decisions, they lead us to a destination, and that's where we begin. If you're taking notes, our decisions today determine our destinations tomorrow. That's a pretty simple truth. And if you've been around, you know, it, it, like me, as long as I've been around, or at least as long as I've been around, some of you have been around longer, you know that decisions you made 10, 20 years ago impl have implications for you today. Where you are today was determined in, in, in some part by the decisions that you made a long time ago. And, and, and that's true for all of us. Our decisions today in one way or another, determine our destination for tomorrow. And so in our passage today, we see that same truth in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 29. This passage brings us kind of to the, to the conclusion or the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. And it sets before us a series of choices, so a series of forks in the road that require us 
to, to make some important decisions. And the decisions not only impact our daily life, as you're going to find out, these decisions have eternal implications. Okay? So four fork in the road decisions that Jesus gives us um, to wrap up Summer on the Mount. And the first decision is between the narrow gate and the wide gate. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So the, the first word that we see in this passage is the word enter. And in this, in this instance, it's a call to immediate action. It's an imperative. Jesus saying, enter here now. Okay, it's the same tone I would use with my kids if they're playing basketball over here and I see a storm rolling in over here and there's lightning coming to the ground. I would call out to them, come inside now. Come, come this way now. And the reason I would say that is because this, this is the quickest way to get away from danger. And that's the same tone that Jesus is using. Come through the narrow gate now. And in verse 14, he tells us what the narrow gate is and what that path really is. He says, that's the path that leads to eternal life with Jesus Christ. Now he says, look, it's not an easy road and, and it's a narrow gate and only a few find it. But when you enter through that gate, it leads you to a destination called life. And the reason Jesus is so urgent about us entering into the narrow gate is because there's also another gate that we can go through. There's another path we can, we can pick. And when it comes to eternity, there is a fork in the road. And this other path leads to a different destination. Jesus says that gate is wide. And guess what? That path is easy. The road there is broad and many find it. It's well-traveled. And Jesus says there are many in this world who choose the wide gate, many who choose the, the easy path. But the path through the wide gate it leads to a different destination, and the name of that destination is called destruction in a place called hell. Now, hopefully you can see Jesus was not into universalism, all right? Not all roads lead to heaven, okay? As a matter of fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the way. I am the truth. I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is calling you and I to take the road less traveled, so to speak. He calls us to pursue the narrow gate and travel the difficult path. And so Jesus is clear. The pathway to God is exclusive and restrictive. There's only one way. There's only one gate. There's only one road. And you know what? It's not an easy road. It's probably going to come with some sacrifice, perhaps some suffering along the way, and probably some kind of persecution. That's why only a few find it. That's why only a few travel it. But that path is the path that leads to life in Jesus Christ. That's the path that leads to our Savior. And so that's the first, uh, the first decision that, that Christ lays before us, the narrow gate or the wide gate. But the next decision is between the good tree, we'll call it, and the bad tree. Okay, verse 15. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So in this passage, Jesus is warning really against false teachers who preach a false kind of gospel. He's saying, be alert, keep, keep your guard up, be aware because false teachers will produce bad fruit. And he warns that most false teachers don't come to you wearing devil horns and, and a pitchfork, right? They actually come looking pretty innocent, looking pretty good and, and preaching a gospel that says, hey, Jesus just wants you to be happy. Jesus just wants you to be comfortable in this life. He wants you to have everything that you, that, you, that you need. So if you just give enough or you have enough good works or just you have a big enough faith and you know what? Jesus will give you everything your heart desires and even more. And Jesus says, just like we can recognize a diseased tree by the diseased fruit, we should be able to recognize a false teacher by the diseased teaching, meaning it's not consistent with what the word of God says. He says, like grapes, or he says, grapes should come from a grapevine. Figs should come from a fig tree. In the same way, true teaching should come from a true prophet. You won't get false teaching from a true prophet. And a true prophet, you should not get, and, and, and most times a, a false prophet will not give you true teaching. We have to be aware. That's why you and I must, must be students of the word. You see, you, you cannot just put your full trust in the teacher who's standing in front of you, and that includes me. We all must be students of of the word so that we can gain discernment from the Holy Spirit about truth. And there's actually a couple of tests that you can ask, very simple tests that you can ask to discern whether or not what you're hearing, what you're receiving is truth. And the first test is this, it's called the doctrinal test. Very simple. Does the teaching that I'm hearing line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ that salvation is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone? Pretty simple. In other words, is that person preaching a gospel plus something else theology that will get me salvation? Is it, is it Jesus plus giving a lot of money? Is it Jesus plus a lot of good works? Is it, is it, is it Jesus uh, plus showing up at church, going to Bible study, joining a small group? Is, is, is the teaching that I'm hearing Jesus plus something else and then I have salvation? Or is it Jesus plus nothing? is enough for salvation. Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's a doctrinal test. That's why it's so important that you and I are developing a biblical worldview. We talk about that a lot around here. And a biblical worldview is simply choosing to look through the truth of God's word to understand the reality of this world and to understand the truth that's being taught to, look, to have a biblical worldview means that we are putting our dependence upon the truth of this word. 
And if we hear something from someone that stands in stark contrast to this, we know that probably what we're hearing is not accurate and we need to test it. We need to question. We need to be careful. We need to be aware, as Jesus said. That's the doctrinal test. But there's another test and it's real simple. It's called the practical test. Does this teaching that I'm hearing set people free to live in Christ or shackle them to live in legalism? This is what we talk about when we talk about the law, that the law did not set anyone free. But you know who does? Jesus Christ. The practical side of the gospel that whoever is in Christ is free indeed. The gospel sets us free from things like guilt and shame. If someone teaches you something and you feel shackled to guilt, you feel shackled to shame, like you are not good enough, that you can never achieve righteousness through Christ, then that's not the true gospel because the gospel sets us free in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, in the end, the diseased tree, the diseased teaching will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, false teachers who preach a false gospel, and there's many in our world today, they have chosen the broad path, the easy path, and they're leading many with them to destruction. Paul said it this way in Colossians 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the eternal spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. But do what? Test everything. Test everything that you hear. Be a student of the word. Know the word. Don't just depend on someone else to spoon feed it to you. Pick it up. Read it. Be a student. Test it. And then hold fast to what is good. The decision between the narrow gate, the false gate, the good tree, the bad tree. And then the third decision Jesus tells us is between true hope and false hope. Listen to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I just want that to sit for a minute. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven, on that day, meaning judgment day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are some of the saddest, most tragic words in the Bible. Jesus begins with a startling statement saying, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will actually enter into the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is revealing here is this. We can profess Jesus Christ without knowing Jesus Christ. We can profess Jesus all day long without truly knowing him. And, and I'm not here to create confusion. It's, it's real simple. The true test of, tr of, of true faith in Christ is this a transformed and obedient life. Not a perfect life. If, if that's the goal, none of us are reaching that standard. But do you have a transformed life? Do you try to be obedient to what the word says? Do you have a desire to put away foolish things, sinful things, 
and walk in obedience to what the Word of God tells us? Do you have a genuine desire to grow closer to God and away from sin? Or are there just sin patterns in your life and they've been there for years and you're not trying to get rid of those? You're not confessing, you're not repenting. Faith is just one of those things you've kind of tacked on to the end of your life so it becomes like a ticket or a pass so I can miss hell and I can get into heaven one day. But at the same time, enjoying all the things of this world and all that it has to offer. That's what I'm talking about. It's pretty simple. I can look at the patterns of my life. Am I being obedient, the desires of my heart? Do I want to bring my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, surrender to him, and become a brand new creation? Not perfect. But in doing so, I surrender my life to Christ. And my life looks different. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. You must make your choice. Either this man, meaning Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And when we do, our life will change. We'll look different than we, than we used to. And so Jesus is telling us to choose. The narrow gate, the wide gate, the good tree, the bad tree, false hope, or true hope. And then finally, the fourth decision is a strong foundation versus a shaky one. Let me read verse 24 and following. Everyone then who hears this word of mine, he's talking about the sermon that he's just preached. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So, so this is Jesus's conclusion to his great Sermon on the Mount. This is his call to response. What will your decision be? And to drive this home, he tells this par parable of two men who, who, who build two similar homes. One's built on a strong foundation. One's built on a sinking sand foundation. And Jesus intended this story not just to be for his audience then, but for everyone now. That's why he says everyone who hears this word of mine not just hearing the words, but all those who do, who put those words into practice, apply them to their life. They are like the wise man who built his house on the, on the strong foundation, the rock. It's the same idea that James presented when he said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word also. That's what Jesus is saying. Everyone who, who hears my word will have a strong foundation, but... Everyone who hears my word but does not apply it to their life will have a sinking foundation, a sinking life. And he says, then, when the storms come, when cancer comes, when divorce comes, when the death of a loved one comes, and in this context, when God's final judgment comes, if your life is on the rock, you'll have a firm foundation. 
anchored in Jesus Christ. But if we just tack faith on to the end of our life so that we have a a get-out-of-hell-free card and all we do is live our life like the world, we're, we're in this world and we're of this world, We build our home on a sandy foundation. And when cancer comes, when divorce comes, when death comes, when judgment comes, there'll be a great crash. There'll be a great fall. Jesus is warning us, don't deceive yourself. Don't don't trick yourself. In, in believing that just listening is enough, that I can just show up and I can just listen and I can kind of check the box and my life doesn't really look any different because of what I've heard or how I'm living. I'm not really applying this truth to my life. and I'm really just trying to live a comfortable faith. I mean, it's just something that I tack on along with some philosophies and some other ideas that I have and some habits. And then I got faith over here and I just kind of tack all these things on and, and it really doesn't define my life and, and, and define my heart and, and who I am. Jesus says, if that's you, stop deceiving yourself because one day the Bible says Christ is coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes again, the time for choosing will be over. And it'll be time for discovering. Discovering, did I go through the narrow gate or the wide gate? Did did I take the difficult path or the broad path? Did I choose the good tree or did I choose the diseased tree? Did I cling to true hope or was I clinging to a false kind of hope? Is my life built on a strong foundation? Or is it built on sinking sand? You see, these are the fork in the road kind of decisions. Jesus reveals that that they both lead to different destinations. One life in Christ, one death and destruction in hell. We all have to choose a path. And in choosing one, we forsake the other. But we all must choose. And then Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with these words, verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were astonished. Why? Because no man had ever spoken like Jesus. No man ever taught like Jesus. No man had authority like Jesus. No man ever lived on this earth like Jesus. No man ever died like Jesus. No man ever rose from the dead like Jesus. And this message, this message is still relevant for us today Those who are wise will walk through the narrow gate. They'll take the difficult path. They'll choose the good tree with the healthy fruit. They'll choose to put their hope in Jesus Christ alone. They'll choose not only to hear these words, but they'll apply these words. They'll obey these words and thus build their life on the rock. And their destination, because of the decisions they make now, will be a place called life, eternal life.
in Christ. But the foolish who choose the wide gate, the broad path, the diseased fruit, the false hope, and the sinking sand, their destination will be a different place, a place called destruction. So before you lies a choice, perhaps. If you, if you already know Jesus Christ, you surrendered your life to him, and he is your Lord and your Savior. And praise be to God for that. Make sure that faith is something that defines you, that Jesus is your identity, that you're growing every day in that, that you have placed every part of your life under his lordship. Make things like confession and repentance a regular discipline in your life. Continue to grow in your faith. Continue to be planted on the rock. But today, if you've never come to a point where you surrendered your life to Jesus and put it under his lordship, I pray that you'll do that today. Paul said it's easy as believing that Jesus is God's son and then confessing him. I mean, surrendering to him, giving your life to him. Becoming a new creation because you've, you've given it all to Christ. You're no longer the person you used to be, but now you live for Christ. You believe this, this truth and you apply it to your life. Today, if you need to choose Christ, don't, don't wait. I pray that you won't hesitate, that, that you'll do it today because as Jesus said, there's, gonna, there's coming a day when Christ will come. And the time for choosing at that point will be behind us. So I'm not here to create fear. I don't think fear comes from the Lord. But I do like to think about it as Jesus talked about it in, in wisdom. Wisdom tells us that we cannot live for ourselves. that there's something more. And that something more is the presence of Jesus Christ that we will one day enjoy forever and ever. So just as the writer of Deuteronomy said, here sets before you life and death blessing and cursing. Choose life. Would you please stand?